Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am a senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film senior writer and chief film critic, Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, Chris, let's jump into the news today. Let's talk about some news that broke. I guess this was yesterday evening. Uh, Chris Pratt is going to be voicing Garfield in a new animated movie. Uh, we don't really have much information on like whether or not this is going to be a 2D situation or like a 3D movie, like those ones that uh, that Bill Murray provided the, the voice of Garfield for. Uh, we know that Mark Dindle, who is the director of a film called Chicken Little, is going to be directing this. We know that uh, David Reynolds, who wrote Finding Nemo, is going to be writing the script. Those two actually have worked together on The Emperor's New Groove, which is a movie that I talked about on the podcast that I did not care for. I don't remember what your Emperor's New Groove thoughts are. Chris, do you have any? I've never seen it. I've okay. yet, yet to get the New Groove, so I have no <laughs> opinion on it. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, you know, for me, this combination is um, uh, not exactly promising. Uh, I don't know why Chris Pratt needs to be the voice of Garfield. I think this is the one that broke me, Chris, a little bit. Um, it's the one where I just, uh, you know, you, you think of Garfield, uh, or I do anyway, uh, the Garfield from my childhood. And, and it's not like Garfield is a sacred character to me or anything, but it's just Chris Pratt is, is not, um, does not sound anything like what I imagine that character to sound like. And this is just uh, it seems like one of the worst examples in recent memory of um, essentially stunt casting, you know, just like getting a famous person in to do a voice instead of just casting a voice actor, a professional voice actor who does this for a living. Uh, I know Chris Pratt is, he's obviously been cast as Mario. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Uh, he did a great job in the Lego movie. It's not like I have anything, you know, against his voice talents. It's just Chris Pratt is Garfield. Chris, what, what do you think about this? It's bad. It's 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 bad <laughs> cast. Look, I don't hate Chris Pratt. I'm sort of like somewhere in the middle. I think Chris Pratt works best when he's playing like a, a, a kind of an idiot. That's why he was so good on um, Parks and Rec. And I think he did a good job 
in the Lego movie because his character there was kind of an idiot, but mm-hmm. he is not a good voice actor. His voice acting in um, Onward is just awful. Just like really bad voice. Like when, that, when I was watching that the entire time, I was just like, Jesus Christ, what a bad voice actor Chris Pratt is. Mm. Like he, He's just so bad at <laughs> voice acting. <things. laughs> like he, it's like he doesn't understand how it works for some reason. I don't know. And so... Yeah, it's like, look, I'm, you know, I don't care about a Garfield movie. I'm not like, how dare you right. besmirch Garfield? But, <laughs> like, really, this is the, even if you want to get, like, a big star, like, this is the best you can do. There's, like, there's a million other big stars who would be much better at this than Chris Pratt. I just don't. I mean, even Aubrey Plaza, his Parks and Rec. Yes. <laughs> like, just make, you know, yeah. <laughs> she would do great. I don't know. It's just very strange. And it's just. This and the Mario casting makes me feel like he's like blackmailing people or something. Like he has dirt <laughs> on someone and he's like, I must voice all these iconic animated characters. It just, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Cause like really you couldn't find anyone better. Like say what you will about those, those live action Garfield movies, which I've never seen, but getting Bill Murray to voice Garfield is a great idea. That makes sense. But like, this is this is the best you can do. I don't know. It's yeah. very strange. Yeah, it's it's the um it's the proximity too that has a lot to do with it. I think like the uh, the proximity to the announcement of him pl- um, voicing Mario. That's just you know it, it feels. I know there have been a few weeks in between those announcements, but it feels essentially back to back. And it's like, are, are we back in you know the year twenty fourteen when like Chris Pratt was everywhere all of a sudden and like. I think a lot of people are sort of, um, you know, have burned out on him a little bit over the past few years. And then now uh, it seems like he's he's all over the news again suddenly. So, um, yeah, not not my favorite casting choice of the day. We'll say that. But uh, let's just go ahead and move on to our next story here, which is um, a, a I guess you would call it an unexpected return of a franchise. Chris, tell me about what's going on here. Yes, there is going to be the Boondock Saints 3. <laughs> For some reason, and everyone is coming back. Uh, Norman Reedus and Sean Patrick Flannery, who were the uh, the titular Boondock Saints in the first two movies, are back. Uh, Troy Duffy is, of course, back because he can't get a job directing traffic, let alone directing <laughs> movies. So, of course, he's going to come back. And they want to, you know, they want to make this whole uh, a big thing. They compare it to the John Wick franchise at one point, which <laughs> absolutely not. And then. <laughs> Uh, Troy Duffy said, I'm not going to read his whole quote because what a, what a complete asshole that guy is. But um, quote, where we're going is the brothers are older. They are coming out into a brand new world that is not like the one they left. They are at odds. Blah, blah, blah. Guns, guns, guns. I'm a hack. Uh, you know, read between the lines. There is there's no reason for this at all. There's this is this is this is like I know you could argue that there's no reason for any movie, really. But this um. This strains uh, <laughs> the, the very fabric of reality that this is happening because I can't imagine a single person wants this. Even the people I can't imagine the people in the movie actually want it. I'm I'm utterly baffled by this news. Yeah. So the first movie came out in 1999 and then it took, what, 10 years for a sequel to come out. 2009 was when Boondock Saints 2 colon All Saints Day hit theaters. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie, Chris, but no. 
it is abysmal. Just I'm sure it is. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Boondock Saints for me, I don't know about you, we're, we're like um, approximately the same age. Boondock Saints for me was like a huge college movie. Like everybody that I knew in college, like watched it and like people had, you know, the posters up on their dorm room walls next to Scarface posters and yeah. all that. It was like, you know, a little, um, I don't know, like early edgelord type of, uh, type of movie. I think it was very, uh, it was a, a big hit with like the Reddit crowd before Reddit, I think is a, maybe yeah. a good way to describe it. Um, and that first movie, like, you know, it, it has some, some, uh, some okay elements. I, I don't think it's aged particularly well. And this franchise as a whole, I mean, I just, I, I am baffled that this is making a comeback in any way. Um, especially with Troy Duffy involved because, you know, he there was a whole documentary about him yes. uh, that came out in what, what was that, two, early two thousands or something called Overnight. Did you see that movie? Yes, I did. Yeah. So, what do you? I mean, I saw it like probably two thousand five or six or something like that, and I haven't seen it since. But what do you remember about that documentary? What do you, maybe for people who don't really know anything about Troy Duffy? Do you have so, like the, the basics in in your head? Basically, the, that documentary points out how he sort of just stumbled into getting a, a movie deal with um. Harvey Weinstein, or maybe it was, I can't remember which of the Weinsteins it was. It was one of them. And uh, yeah, basically the documentary p- paints him as this, uh, Troy Duffy as this like egomaniac who is just a, a really talentless hack who just got really lucky enough to make one movie. And he thought that was like, you know, his big, his big intro into Hollywood. And it obviously wasn't. And, you know, the Boondock Saints, the first one, <coughs> excuse me, it has a very weird history because it got like almost no real theatrical release, but it found an audience on home video. It was like exclusive to Blockbuster video, I think. And uh, that's where I found it. And I, yeah, I, I, I remember it being sort of a, a big deal at the time and then, you know, everyone got older and they were like, oh, this is a, an embarrassing movie. Well, I can't <laughs> believe we admit it. Basically, The Boondock Saints is is like a Tarantino knockoff by someone who doesn't understand what makes Tarantino movies good. It's it's someone trying to emulate that Tarantino, especially the, the 90s Tarantino style, you know, the, the Pulp Fiction era Tarantino, where the, the, the dialogue is really hip and everyone's got guns and mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. And it's like, look, that stuff in the wrong hands can really suck. And Quentin Tarantino, whatever you want to say about him, he knows how to make a movie. He knows how to write a screenplay. So he's able to take those things and make them work. And then you have people like Troy Duffy, who have, has no idea what he's doing and tries to do it. And it just it just comes across as, like, like I said, just really embarrassing. And, you know, when you're when you're 16, 17, 18, you don't really notice that stuff when you're watching it. You're just like, this is cool. They got guns. Mm -hmm. And then you, you know, like I said, you get older and you're like, Oh shit, this is just a really mediocre movie. And we should, you know, there's no reason to keep this going, but obviously Troy Duffy wants to keep the, keep the dream alive. Yeah. I know that you didn't want to read that whole quote, but there's one, one sentence in here that I really think, um, sums up Troy Duffy's approach. He says, uh, I asked the fan base once, who would you most like to see Connor and Murphy kill? Those like the, the characters, the, the brother characters at the center of the story. <laughs> like the, the idea that you would pose that question yes. to the fan base, uh, I think sort of says it all. And evidently the number one answer was politicians. So I'm sure this movie is going to be real uh, thoughtful and nuanced and, um, you know, is, is going to be just a, a great experience for everybody all the way around. So uh, look forward to Boondock Saints 3 
coming to a blockbuster video near you. Um, all right, well, let's move on, I guess, to our, our next story here, which is uh, you know, the, the argue, arguably the opposite end of the quality spectrum. Uh, Christopher Nolan is making a new movie. It's called Oppenheimer. I think we've talked about it a little bit here and there. Um, it's about Robert Oppenheimer, the, the I guess, what, inventor of the, the nuclear bomb? What? Is that right? Uh, he's one of the one of the 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 figureheads at at the forefront of creating the atomic bomb, basically. Yeah, atomic bomb. Excuse yes. me. Yes. Uh, so some new cast members have um, have aborted this movie, and these are some pretty big names. Chris, tell me about that. Yeah, this this news actually really surprised me. Um, so uh, Matt Damon is in talks, and that's not a surprising card because Matt Damon worked with Christopher Nolan before on Interstellar, which I feel like people might have forgotten about because he his role in that is is small and it's sort of like a surprise but the uh, the surprising news really is that also robert downey jr is in talks to join the film um we don't know who either of them would be playing but uh that's kind of a, a big deal robert downey jr working with christopher nolan they've never worked together before and also like this would be robert downey jr's first non-mcu movie since Doolittle last year and even Ooh. that was like his first non-MCU movie since The Judge so basically Robert Downey Jr. has been sort of just like uh, embedded in the MCU and not doing much else acting wise like he's produced a few things but when it comes to acting he hasn't really done a lot of non-MCU acting so the idea that he's back and he's going to be working with you know a big filmmaker like Christopher Nolan that's that's kind of exciting because I would love for Robert Downey Jr. to have sort of like a, I don't want to say a comeback because he doesn't need a comeback because, you know, he's a very rich, successful man. <laughs> but, you know, before the MCU, Robert Downey Jr. was had sort of rebuilt his career as this really great character actor. You know, he was a, he was a star in the 80s and the 90s, and then he had uh, a lot of drug problems, and he sort of became, like, unhirable for a few years. People mm-hmm. were like, we're not going to hire him. And then he slowly started doing these really memorable uh roles in in, in in sometimes like small roles sometimes big roles in smaller films uh stuff like um kiss kiss bang bang and stuff like that and do you everyone, have a favorite of his from that period that pre that sort of like post drug pre mcu period chris man it's 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 t- it's kind of it's probably either like kiss kiss bang bang or zodiac which sort of came mm-hmm. right when he was sort of starting in the mcu but mm-hmm. Yeah, like those films reminded everyone that like, oh shit, Robert Downey Jr. is actually a really good actor when, you know, he's given the right material. And then, you know, the MCU came along and he became, he went from, you know, unemployable to like a huge superstar, but then he sort of just stopped doing other movies. And I I can't blame him because, you know, the MCU, uh, Marvel paid him a lot of money. Uh, I I remember like the first uh, Spider-Man Homecoming where he's in that movie for like, like five minutes or something. I remember he got like, <laughs> like billions of dollars for that. It was like insane. So they were, you know, they, they wanted to keep him happy and they did, but I love the idea of him now that he's no longer in the MCU uh, because Tony Stark is dead. Spoiler alert. Uh, I like the idea of him trying to sort of start over uh, sort of like, a, I guess a third half of his career. And um, I, I really do hope this is the start of him getting back to work as an actor and doing more movies. I guess he had the Sherlock Holmes movie too. I forgot those, but, and those were kind of big hits. Those were actually really big hits, but those feel like a very long time ago. As yeah. Well. That was so, like, I mean, it feels like 10 years ago or something. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. And and hopefully, yeah, this sort of signals a, um, uh, 
a new creative direction for him, an, an actual, hopefully this won't be just like a, a Matt Damon in interstellar sized role where he has just a really small part yeah. in this. And he's actually like a, a significant player here. So um, I would love it if, if Robert Downey Jr. Became part of Christopher Nolan's like a, you know, a troop of actors that just, you know, jumps with him to project from project to project. That would yeah. be awesome. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about a Star Trek animated movie that is uh, being teased by the head of Paramount. Um, evidently, they are looking at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as a sort of blueprint for the type of movie they're looking to make here. So uh, Brian Robbins, who's the new president and CEO of Paramount, has teamed up with uh, Alex Kurtzman, who's like the sort of creative lead on all things Star Trek. And they talked about how they are inspired by Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as like this four quadrant uh, family movie that is going to be used as, as sort of a template for what they might do with this animated uh, theatrical Star Trek film, which um, they've never made an animated theatrical Star Trek movie before. I know they've done some animation, obviously like the, uh, there was a the show in the 1970s um, Star Trek, the animated series. And then uh, Star Trek lower decks is on right now. And Star Trek, Prodigy is on, uh, you know, in this sort of modern era of, uh, of Star Trek animation as well, but they've not done a, an animated film. So I'm curious about that on, on that level. Um, just, you know, what is that going to look like? And the fact that they're citing Spider-Verse is, uh, is good news because that movie rules and it's, you know, perfectly executed all the way around and it sort of pushed the medium forward and it's like visually dazzling and, and just, uh, emotionally satis- satisfying, really a, a resonant movie. Um, and I think that's like a great example of what you can do with a piece of franchise IP um, that makes it feel like fresh and viable and not just uh, like it's being thrown in the microwave and, and reheated over and over again. So uh, I don't know, you know, whether or not they're going to use the Into the Spider-Verse as like a story blueprint in terms of uh, they they could because Star Trek is is hard sci-fi and there's all sorts of stuff they could do with alternate universes and multiverses and crossing portals and all that sort of stuff if they wanted to. Um, I'm guessing they'll stay away from uh, you know, direct comparisons to that movie uh, plot wise. But um, what do you think about this, Chris? Do you what's your relationship with Star Trek as a whole? And then what do you think about an animated theatrical Star Trek film? You know, I never really got that into Star Trek. I like um, uh, the 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 first J.J. Abrams movie. I thought that was was really cool. Um, I uh, I kind of liked the third one, the Justin Lin one. What was I called Star mm-hmm. Trek Beyond? Yes, and that's really it. I mean, I've seen I've seen like uh, some of the Next Generation movies. I think I saw Star Trek First Contact with. Um, or no, I think it's called Star Trek Generate. Whatever the one with William Shatner and Patrick Stewart in it. Yeah, that's, that's Generations. That's the one I saw. So I have like a very vague association. Like I know the characters. I know the gist of it, but I never really got into Star Trek that much. So do you have any uh, any interest in an animated um, Star Trek movie? Like the, knowing the, the Abrams stuff and maybe the, some of the later movies, are you like uh, intrigued at all by this? I mean, yeah, if, if they really do sort of make it somewhat like um spider-verse then definitely because you know before that i was like i have no interest in a spider-man animated movie and then that movie was 
phenomenal. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong. I'd say I'm, <laughs> I am, uh, I don't want to say cautiously optimistic because even that is, is stretching it. I'm, I am, uh, I am open to new experiences. I'll put it that <laughs> there way. There we go. There we go. I like it. Uh, all right. So speaking, speaking of being open to new experiences, let's talk about the, uh, Morbius trailer, which came out this oh, morning. Yes. Um, Chris, I don't even really know what to say here. Tell me what you thought about the Morbius trailer. This looks bad. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> this looks really bad. Uh, I thought the first trailer for this was, was crappy too, but it looked serviceable. And this is just like, I found this trailer embarrassing. Like there's a moment at the end uh, where Morbius, the, the played by Jared Leto, who is a, uh, I guess he's the, he's the living vampire, whatever that means. Uh, he's like, <laughs> he's surrounded by some like goons or whatever. And they're like, who are you? And he changes his face into like a monster face. And he's like, I'm venom. And then he goes, just kidding. I'm actually Morbius. And I was like, this is <laughs> like, who? <laughs> like I, I saw someone post a screenshot of that moment. And I was mm-hmm. like, there's no way that's actually in the trailer. Like I thought someone faked that. And I watched the trailer and I was like, I know kids these days use the term cringe and I don't like to use it the way they use it where they're like, that's so cringe, but this was very cringe. Just like <laughs> it, it's like, it, it was so clearly something they shot because venom was a hit and they were like, shit, we got to throw a line in there about venom. Cause that's what people like. And it's just, it's embarrassing, man. Like get the hell out of here. Like, <laughs> Yeah, the whole rest of the movie just feels like it was ported over from like the Daredevil Electra mid 2000s era too. Like there's there's nothing about this. I mean, even down to like Tyrese's casting yes. uh, as as a supporting character who's just evidently playing it super straight against Jared Leto as this living vampire. I mean, every single aspect of this just like the the way that it's shot, the the uh CG, like the the fact that he like goes into the jungle and, and uh, you know, these bats uh, swirl out around him and all just sort of reeks of this, like, um, I don't know, like, like uh, ax body spray, like circa 2005 kind of whole vibe to it. I just, I don't understand how this is what Sony, you know, Sony, Chris, I don't know if you know this, Sony has access to like something like 900 and I'm not exaggerating by very much, maybe 800, but I think it's 900 characters that are adjacent to Spider-Man within the Marvel umbrella or whatever. And the fact that they've made, uh, into the Spider-Verse. Okay. So that's like directly Spider-Man, right? So outside of, of the, their pairings with, uh, the MCU, They've made Into the Spider-Verse, they've made Venom, and they've made Venom 2, and now they've made Morbius. I'm just shocked that this is the one that's essentially right out of the gate, and they have access to the sprawling library of all of these characters, and this is what they choose to do, and this is how they choose to do it, crucially. Like, that, you know, I guess Morbius, there is a way to to, to make this story feel uh vibrant in in 2021 or whatever i mean i know it was shot several years ago but uh jesus christ like <laughs> i just it's just <laughs> it like the whole everything here reeks of them not actually being confident about it because if they were they wouldn't include that embarrassing venom thing at the end there and then like michael keaton's character from spider-man homecoming is in this for some reason yeah. and it, 
it's clear he's only going to be in one scene and they keep showing every second of that one scene because they don't know how else to market this movie so they're like uh, uh you liked uh that spider-man movie right well but he's in this one too and it's just like it's just it's like flop sweat the movie and yeah i'm sure i'm gonna eat my words when this makes a billion fucking dollars and i just feel embarrassed because i didn't think the first venom was gonna be the big hit it was i thought it would do okay but it, that was a huge hit but at the same time i feel like People know who Venom is. Even if yeah. you don't read the comics, you know who Venom is. I feel like people do not know who the hell Morbius the Living Vampire is. Like, I, yeah, I nobody just, in my elementary school was rocking a Morbius t-shirt, yeah. uh, you know, back in the day. So Yeah, so um, it's like, I just, I don't understand. Again, I'm sure it'll be a hit because I, I can't figure out what what audiences want anymore but man this looks bad but like just seeing jared harris in this i was like oh no like i like jared harris what is he doing in this thing it just feels like so ill-advised all the way around so real quick before we go uh you mentioned that that um that joke moment at the very end do you think this is another we live in a society uh where it's not actually in the movie. Where it's, yeah, where it's not actually going to be in there. I would be shocked if it's not, if it's is in the movie, honestly. It does feel like something they were like, we'll just put this in the trailer uh, and we don't have to actually put it in the movie. I, I know if I made Morbius, I'd be like, I refuse to put this in the movie, <laughs> but that's me. So I, I don't, I just, it just seems very, very uh, embarrassing. And it's, it's not even that it's a joke. I'm fine with these movies being silly. And, you know, I, I really liked uh, Venom and Venom 2 for being as as unapologetically silly as they are but it just it, it there has to be some sort of I don't know I don't even know how to like it can't be that silly. you can't be you can't be like referencing other characters just to do it like that's just very yeah. cheap and lazy like and it's it's confusing too because there's a moment where he like walks by a, a mural on the wall that says murderer and it's like a picture of spider-man but it's the toby Maguire spider-man and then as you mentioned michael keaton shows up and he's not like is this movie in the mcu or not because michael keaton was when he was in spider-man right. homecoming and then yeah, so there, there are just these questions that come up where it's like you get the sense that if Sony is not presenting that information, those quote unquote rules to the audience in the trailer to, you know, I, I guess comic book audiences are uh, or audiences for comic book movies are like fairly sophisticated now when it comes to things like multiverses and like understanding, OK, this fits in this timeline or whatever. And if if the movie itself um, seems to be muddled in a trailer form. It just, it feels like, uh, like it's Bush league. Like they don't know what they're doing. Um, and then, you know, combine that with the sort of entire aesthetic of the movie where it just feels, yeah. Like I said, ripped out of, you know, 15 years ago or something. Can we just stop with like origin story movies at this point? Like I get that there was a period where comic book movies were sort of like not new, but the, the way they were doing them was new. And, I just, I don't feel like we need these to be, every time there's a new one, I don't think we need it to be another goddamn origin story. Like, here's how he became Morbius. Like, I don't care. Like, uh, when when the Tim Burton Batman came out, we didn't, you know, there was like a flashback to his parents getting shot. But other than that, he was already Batman and it worked fine. It was mm-hmm. a huge hit. It changed the face of, of movies. We don't need all of these movies to be like, Here's how he became Morbius. Like I don't yeah. care. Like just like <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like if, 
if this was just a movie that started with a guy who was already a vampire, I'd be like, all right, that's that's good. I don't need to see how he became because I'm sure it's going to be like an hour and 30 minutes of him not being a vampire and then like 30 <laughs> minutes of him being a vampire of him and flying then, through underground train yeah. tunnels or something. I don't and know. And then when it ends, it'll be like, he'll be more of a vampire in the next one. And then yeah. it's just like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let me ask you one final question before we go, Chris. And that is like, uh, you know, I think on yesterday's episode, Brad and Peter were talking about the trailer for Moonfall. And I remember when the first Moonfall trailer came out, you and I were talking about that on the podcast and you were like, hell yes inject this movie into my veins like it looks super dumb in in like the best possible way uh and i think there you know you were saying like there's room for these comic book movies uh even like within this this sony universe or whatever they're calling it to be dumb so is there a distinction you can draw between you know being excited for uh, a dumb idea like moonfall and then uh not being excited about a dumb idea like morbius i think the difference is moonfall is a movie that knows it's dumb and the morbius trailer even though it has that joke in it you get the sense that it thinks it's like this this serious movie like jared leto thinks he's in a serious movie about mm-hmm. morbius the living vampire and like you need to like moonfall is a movie literally called moonfall it knows what it is it knows what it's doing it's about people going inside the moon like like that's a movie (laughs) that it understands the assignment basically and the morbius movie is like isn't this cool like no it's not cool. I don't, so that I think that is the big difference here. Okay, I like it. All right, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of today's episode. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.